How much grace does God want to give you, and why does he want to give it? Here with some scriptural insight is Pastor Ed Ray. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God wants to give you grace so much, it's beyond what you could even guess he'll do. It's stunning. It's surprising. Exceedingly abundantly. You ask for something small, and God gives you more. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because he's our dad. And our dad loves us. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the cripple stand singing of course we love to talk about grace for that's what we all need from the lord it's how we grow in the lord and it's the name of the broadcast grow in grace Now, if you've been with us or you're a new listener, you'll hear our teacher, Pastor Ed Ray, emphasize the grace of God, since that's the emphasis of the Bible. And as we continue today in the book of Hebrews, you'll not only see this emphasis, but also be encouraged by how able and how far God will go because of his abounding grace to save you. Now from Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23, here's Pastor Ed. So there were many priests, still alive at that time, because they were prevented by death from continuing. All the high priests in the past all died, which was the good news and the bad news. If they were a good high priest, then everyone was sad, but there were plenty of bad high priests. You'll remember the two that were in place, which was unheard of during Jesus' day. Both of them corrupt. Even the Romans thought too crooked to keep in there. So High priests come and go are the point, and death ends their lives. Verse 23 is saying another difference between the priesthood is that the old priesthood died off, but the new one does not. So he's building this case for Jesus being permanent, verse 24. And he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. You don't have to worry about Jesus being replaced, all right? He's got job security for you and for me. He ended the weaknesses of men's failures, verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the guttermost, or uttermost, depending on your background, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through Jesus. He lives forever to plead with God on their behalf. That's the New Living Testament. Okay, he is able. This is one of those great little phrases in Scripture. It talks about God's capacity, his capability, actually his desire too. A statement of how great God's forgiveness really is towards you and towards me. This is the good news. NIV says he is able to save completely those who come to God. The idea is of absolute confidence in what God said that it will happen. I'm not sure that's happening in most of the church in America today. I'm not sure if you asked the majority of evangelical Christians if they believed that every word of the Bible was true, I think people 
most people hedge their bets on that. But this is one you want to be all in on. God is able. God is able. You're not. I'm not. But God is able. He's able to get us into eternity. I wrote down four here. There's a lot of them. Jude 124, God is able. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to prevent you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to keep me, to keep you from falling, blowing it, blowing up your life, fragmenting it after you've surrendered to him. He is able to do it. Not to say that we don't have to call out to him, but it's real simple. Just say his name. Just say Jesus. I feel that when I say that because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which a person might be saved. You don't have to yell it in the middle of your office (laughs) at work. You don't have to scream it in the cafeteria school. You can say it quietly. God's not deaf. (laughs) But calling on his name always brings help. God is able. He is able to keep you from stumbling. God is also able to strengthen us. Listen to Hebrews 2.18 again. We looked at it a while back. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. God is able to come alongside and make a way of escape. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He said that no person is tempted above their ability to resist, but God is able to make a way of escape. He'll give you one. Might be a diversion. Might be a, just somebody that comes up and asks you a question to get your mind off it. But God is able to change your circumstances and strengthen us. Thirdly, God is able to be sufficient for us. This is a great verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. God is able to make all grace about. Grace is a gift. Grace is God's favor towards you, towards me, that we don't deserve. The word charis means gift. So God gives you the gift of grace, and it's a big gift. He is saying that he is able to give you grace that you can't contain it so much. That's a reoccurring theme again in the New Testament, Romans 5.17. God is giving grace. And he said, those who receive his gift of righteousness and his abounding grace shall reign through the one Christ Jesus. If I will receive, open myself up to take in God's grace and his righteousness, I will reign in life. Circumstances won't compress me. I'll be able to stand you will be able to stand if you will increase your capacity to hold God's grace. What he's saying is abounding grace is more grace than I can contain, than you can contain. We're containers for grace. God is giving grace, and we've run out of room for it. So how do you increase it? You give away all the grace that he's given you to other people, and then your capacity increases. God is giving you more grace than you can handle He's blessing your life in a thousand ways. We'll come again to that in just a moment. But he is graceful towards you. How much? 
Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God wants to give you grace so much, it's beyond what you can even guess he'll do. It's stunning. It's surprising. Exceedingly abundantly. You ask for something small, and God gives you more. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because he's our dad, and our dad loves us. He is able to save to the uttermost. Save, save, what's save? Somebody asked me that the other day. What do you mean when you say save? Well, save, the Greek word zozo, S-O-Z-O or S-O-D-Z-O, depending on how you transliterate, it means completeness. It means wholeness. It means to be delivered, to be protected, to be healed, and to be preserved. Delivered from difficulties. Something's happening beyond what you can control. And God is able to deliver you from it, get you out of that situation that you can't handle, but he can. He's protecting you. He keeps us out of harm's way. He makes sure that we are safe. He heals us (laughs) to make us well, whole, complete, to become all we're supposed to be, that he plans for us. He preserves us so we won't fall back. He's able to save completely all the way into eternity. This phrase is filled with meaning, to save to the uttermost. NSB says, able to save forever. RSV says, able to save all the time. NIV is able to save completely. Living Bible, able to save down to the very end. God has it all handled. He's taking care of you. He's taking care of me. To the uttermost, completely again. Those who come to God through him, who come to Father God through Jesus the Son, that in fact, God gives us forgiveness. This is really talking about that concept of being coming to him in repentance. Those who come to God say, Lord, forgive me. Since he always lives to make intercession, the word means to intervene. Jesus is intervening on your behalf right now. Well, Pastor, I'm doing fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's awkward because God reads our heart. (laughs) You may be sitting here with your hands folded and so you really can't do too much bad, you know, like when we were in third grade. Fold your hands and put them on the top of the desk or otherwise I'm going to kill you little monsters. None of our teachers, of course, would say that, but we think we're safe, right? Because we're not doing anything overt right now. No, no, Jesus said it happens up here and it happens here that if I've done it in my heart, I may as well have done it physically. But he is able, when we come to him, to make intercession for us to Father God. We'll come back to that again at the end. Pastor Ed Ray reminding us of what God will do in the heart and mind of those who believe in him. Now with part two of today's lesson on God's grace, along with his ability, from Hebrews 7, verse 26, Once again, here's Pastor Ed. For such a high priest was fitting for us what we needed, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. So he's the kind of high priest we need because he is holy. And this Greek word for holy is unusual. It only appears three times in the New Testament. The other words for holy appears 30 times. This one is only used to describe deity to describe God, and it means precisely what is needed. 
Jesus is precisely what you need. It almost sounds ridiculous to say it. It's exactly what we need. He is the perfect person to meet our needs because his person and his sacrifice are without spot, wrinkle. Everything's perfect. He's harmless, blameless, the NIV says, guileless. The idea is without any malice or evil thoughts towards you. God is for you. He is not against us. He is, in fact, doing everything he can to get us there. Listen, Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us, get this, all things, everything we need? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? You. It is God who justifies. Who is he who tries to condemn? It is Christ who died and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of Father God, who makes intercession for us. There it is, Romans 8, again. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or illness or bills or a bad boss at work? <laughs> No one can separate us from the love of God. This is great stuff. No evil intent. He wants to bless us. This is a difficult concept to convince people of. But listen to what Jesus said about that. Acts 3.27, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize they don't have any spiritual resources except those things that God has given them. Blessed are you who mourn. Repent over your sin. Blessed are the meek, humble before the creator of the universe, who wouldn't be when you understand who he is. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after rightness before God. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed when they revile you. Bless when they persecute you. Everywhere Jesus took children, it says, and he blessed them. How about Matthew 14, 14? You shall be blessed, for they cannot repay you when you help someone. Matthew 24, 50. He lifted up his hand and he blessed the people. Luke 24, 45. Last words before he left his disciples, he said, Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and then he blessed them, and he left. Somebody said this to me. I had to write it down two weeks ago. I can understand how the Lord would bless children or new converts or even Christians in poor countries who need miracles just to survive. I can see how he would bless imprisoned believers in foreign countries, but I can't believe those kinds of blessings for myself. I just don't think I ever live up to the light that I have received. I feel God is mostly displeased with me. I don't feel worthy of his blessings. My response, you're not worthy. None of us are. It's not based on worthy. It's based on grace. It's based on this gift, this abounding grace that he's trying to give to us. That's how he blesses you. He gives you favor with him in front of him and in front of other people. God makes you look good. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. 
I got a yes. I, I, you know, we're not a Pentecostal church, but every once in a while you could, you know, let a amen come out. Of, I wouldn't be offended, you know. That would be okay. Separated from sinners. Set apart, literally it means. Jesus was accused of hanging out with sinners. It's not talking about that. He's saying that there's no room for sin in his life. He was absolutely perfect, but, you know, he'd have lunch with tax collectors and prostitutes and was the talk of the neighborhood because he was around them, undefiled, free from contamination, separated, set apart. Verse 27 continues, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. This is a pretty sweeping, important theological concept. So again, it's 67. The temple is opened every morning, and at 9 o'clock in the morning, they do a sacrifice, the morning offering for the sins of the people. But before it, the priest who's doing it has to make a sacrifice for his own sin because he was imperfect. And then at 3 in the afternoon, the same thing happens again. And then every feast day and every Sabbath. So all these sacrifices are going on. But every time a priest walks up to sacrifice, he first has to sacrifice for himself before he can build a bridge, stand in between. Not true with Jesus. He did it once and for all. Once and for all. Jesus died once and for all, and there will never be a need for a sacrifice again. Last verse. For the law appointed as high priests, men who have weaknesses, who were sinners. But the word of the oath that God said in Psalm 110 verse 4, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Okay, you got to think in time here a moment. So the law is about 1600 BC, and David is about 1000 BC. There's 600, 500, 600 years in between. Psalm 110 was written 500 years after the law was in place, which came after the law, this declaration, this oath from God that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek and appoints the son who has been already perfect forever, always has been. He always existed. I know, it's a mind bender. God has always existed, and he is able to save us because he is perfected. Verse 25, this important verse, we'll close on this. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utter or guttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Able to save. What do I mean when I say save? Somebody asked me that not long ago. What do you mean? Save from what? Who needs salvation? That's an important question. Salvation is a very radical word. To be saved is a sweeping statement. No one needs salvation who is doing fine, who thinks they're doing fine, who thinks, well, you know, my life is pretty together. I might add a couple things to make it absolutely perfect, but, but I've got it. I've got this thing called life. You will never come and ask for help from Jesus until you recognize your own need, your own inability to live the life that he wants you to have. So who is it that needs to be saved? A person who recognizes their life is not going the way it should. Just that simple, that they recognize their need for God involvement in their lives. Is someone who can't save themselves Someone who will not survive without someone else helping them. A people 
who have recognized that they would die without intervention. I, I've been kind of watching Mount Everest in Nepal since being there, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, and I understand a little bit better what's going on. So we have these hundreds of tourist climbers, and the Sherpas just cringe. People who just want to come and, and climb the mountain, and they're wearing, you know, boots from Tom McCann and a T-shirt and have a water bottle with them. <laughs> They need to be saved. <laughs> but in a serious way, some even who have the right equipment are not prepared to recognize their complete need. Six people have died so far this year again on Mount Everest. People who didn't know that they needed to be saved until they had fallen. And five of the six were still conscious when they found them and tried to helicopter them out but all six of them died. Now, they had saved dozens of others, but they needed to be saved. They needed someone to intervene. 1881, March 6th, northern Scotland, there was a huge storm, and a three-masted schooner was driven up on the rocks. And the fishermen from the local village tried to go out and help remove the 11 men from it, and they were caught in 30-foot waves, and the ship was going to break up. They couldn't get to them, so they finally were able to float out a giant rope, and they caught it on the ship, and they pulled it up, brought another rope along it, and they took literally a wooden cask. They used it as the lorry, a way to bring people back and forth. First young man got him. He was the sickest of them, and they brought him to the shore. He was saved. Ten people left on the ship. But as soon as he got out of the barrel, a wave hit the back of the ship and spun it around so all the ropes were entangled in the rigging and there was no way to do it again. So a young man climbed up on the edge and jumped in and tried to swim. Huge waves coming over him. He had a hold of the rope and just trying to swim along the rope, thought he could make it, but he didn't. Huge waves over him finally pulled him off the rope and he drowned. Everybody just standing there. They couldn't do anything to get in the water. They'd have drowned with him. But as soon as he went under... Another huge wave hit the ship and spun it back around in the right direction. And all nine men came off the ship. Well, they asked the captain what happened that this young man left. And he said, quote, the best man in the crew, but he was lost because he tried to save himself in his own way. Yes, all the rest were saved, but by other hands than their own. Human powers are wholly inadequate to save someone in this situation. To rely on them is to ensure disaster. God is waiting for anyone, everyone, who will just simply say, I need you, Lord. I surrender. If you haven't done that, don't leave till you do. We want to extend the same invitation to you, dear listener. The Lord Jesus is not only willing, but also able to save you. You need only recognize your need and ask Him. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. And we're going and growing through the book of Hebrews, one verse at a time. You can listen to this program again on our website at thepackinghouse.org. We can also send you a CD copy. For this and other Christ-centered resources, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. That's toll-free, 844-77-GRACE. 
At Grow in Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word from Genesis to Revelation so that nothing is left out. We're grateful to the Lord when we hear of men and women that are growing in grace as a result of listening. And if that's happening in your life, would you please let us know? As this study of Hebrews continues, we want to hear from you. Email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And we'd also very much appreciate your financial support. Lives are being impacted, people are growing in grace, and your gifts help to make this possible. When you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made the headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark a passion in your life to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount, so call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. Remember, you can access these daily studies when you visit our website at thepackinghouse.org. We'll pick up where we left off in Hebrews next time. So join us as we grow in grace with Pastor Ed. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your